This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is no portion of scripture in the Bible more widely known, more widely quoted, and more loved than the 23rd Psalm. It has many things to say to many people. To the bereaved, it brings comfort. To the fearful, confidence. To the weary, rest. To the weak, strength. To the depressed, hope. And it's such a precious psalm. I don't think when David wrote this psalm that he had any idea that thousands of years later, but 3,000 years later, that people all over the world would love it and quote it and memorize it. And so it begins, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord was this shepherd's shepherd. Nobody knows for sure when he actually wrote this psalm. Was it when he was young and it suddenly dawned on him Uh, The correlation between a shepherd and a savior, perhaps. But more likely, it was when he was much, much older, when he was a mature man, when he had gone through the vicissitudes of life and all the dark periods and the troubles and the crises, both within his nation, within his kingdom, within his family. And having gone through all of those things, he could look back and confidently say, the Lord is my shepherd. Something that encouraged him, something that caused him to look back and say, thank God I had a shepherd during those dark times. And so whenever this was written, whenever this song rose up in his heart, he was sure of one thing, that Jehovah was his shepherd. And we too have got a shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. And Hebrews 13 and 20 is called the great shepherd of the sheep. 1 Peter 2.25, the shepherd and bishop of our souls, Peter called him. In John 10.11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And John 10.14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known of mine. I read recently where 
A couple had been visiting Israel many, many years ago. And they were tourists. And they were out, way out in the hinterland, as it were. And they noticed that there was hundreds, if not thousands, of sheep and goats all in this great mass. And they could see this heaving mass of sheep and goats. And they wondered, why were they there? What was going to happen? And then into their view came a number of shepherds. And they all lined themselves up with a great space between them. And almost in unison, they all began to call out to the sheep. And he said they had this, each one a different call, a kind of a shrill call. And they watched amazed that when they did that, this great mass of sheep and goats, suddenly they all started moving and they all began to filter each one to their own shepherd. They'd heard the voice and they knew their voice and they were attracted to the voice. We ought to know the voice of our shepherd. We ought to know the voice of our shepherd when he speaks to our heart. Matthew 9, 36, Jesus, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Some time ago, my eldest sister uh, told me uh, this story. She was visiting one of her relatives in the hospital, and she visited several times. And, but she noticed this little man on the bed who lay on the bed. He'd been there a long, long time, and he wore a cap. The cap was always to one side when he lay down. And she was curious about him because she noticed he never had any visitors. And so she asked one of the nurses about the old gentleman lying over there with a cap. Oh, she says, that's old Sam. But she says, mm, I wouldn't really go and talk to him if I was you because he's got a foul mouth. She says his language is absolutely terrible. And uh, anybody knows my sister Sandra, that certainly wouldn't put her off. She's more determined to speak to him. So she says, I went over this evening and I began to talk to him and share a little bit with him. And he says to her, to her he says, you remind me of my mother. And she says, oh, did I look like your mother, you know, when she was younger? He says, no, no, I don't mean your face. Oh, she says, uh, my voice. Oh, oh, no, not your voice. Either. Well, well, how do I remind your mother? The things that you say to me. Oh, she says, so she told you about Jesus then. And she says, I noticed big tears coming out inside of his eyes. Mm. He says, mm. he, she did. Did she tell you about Jesus and how you needed to be saved and born again? Mm, she did. And did you ever do that, Sam? No. No, I never did. Never did. She says, can I tell you a story? She says, yes. She says, many years ago, in Scotland, there was two faith mission pilgrims, evangelists. Now, if you know anything about the faith mission pilgrims, they... they, they usually don't go to towns or cities. They go to villages. They go to outlying districts. And they maybe rent a little hall or something to have a mission in. And so these two faith mission pilgrims, she told the old man, they went out to Scotland, to the Highlands, and they were holding a mission. 
And they noticed that this, this boy, this lad, he would, he would come every night to the mission, but he would always come in late and always leave early. And that puzzled them, and they couldn't ask him why, because coming in late, going early, no opportunity to speak to him. And he did it every single night. And so the, the mission finished, and then the following year, they went back to the same area and decided to go to the same place and hold another mission. And again, the boy, the lad, turned up, always that little bit late, always leaving that little bit early, every single night, but was faithful. And they noticed that he listened intently, but again, they could not get speaking to him. So then back the third year, mission night every night, but this time, no lad, no boy this time. And they were, they were curious. He hasn't turned up, I wonder why. And so they found out where he lived. And they went to the home. And the mother opened the door and explained who they were. And they said, you know, your, your lad came to our mission every night. But he always came that little bit late and always left that little bit early. And that always puzzled us why that was. And he wasn't here at all this time. She says, well, you know, he's a shepherd boy. And as a shepherd boy, he had his, he had his duties with the sheep. And that's why he always came a little bit late, always left a little bit early. And he says, well, can we, can we speak to him? And this, she said, oh, they didn't tell you you haven't heard? And he says, what? He says, he died last winter. How did that happen? Well, as a shepherd boy, he was out on the hillside and he was getting the sheep in because of the weather was bad and, and he was wanting to bring the sheep in. But a terrible snow blizzard came and he, and he fell down into a crevasse and we found him the next day. And he had frozen to death. But she said, there was something that really, really puzzled me. And, and I've asked everybody, and nobody is able to give me an answer. Maybe, maybe you could give me the answer. And she says, well, what was it that puzzled you? She said, well, the, the strange thing was when, when we found his body that his right hand had, had gripped the third finger of his left hand. And she said, it was so odd it was so strange to find him like that. Why was his right hand holding the third finger of his left hand? And they kind of smiled at each other and said, we know why. And we believe because of this, your son is now in heaven. And we'll tell you why. You see, whenever we held the mission, they said, that when the boys and girls came, we always did a little story for the boys and girls. And we always shared something from the scriptures. And, and, and it just so happened that we shared about the 23rd Psalm and, and, and helped them to remember, to remember the 23rd Psalm. We got them to hold up their left hand and with their right hand to point to their fingers and say, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. But we told them, when you get to the third finger, here's what you do. The Lord is my shepherd and hold on to that finger the Lord is my shepherd and so we believe that that's what he was telling you that the Lord was his shepherd and then my sister said to old Sam she says Sam is the Lord your shepherd no he said would you like the Lord to be your shepherd yes I would and she led him to the Lord it's amazing the fact the 23rd Psalm can have in people. It's a wonderful Psalm. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The shepherd takes care of the needs of the sheep. They don't have to beg him to have their needs met. He's always looking out for them. He leads them, he guides them, he protects them. He seeks out the best pastures that he can find. David says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed bagging breath. Once you get to know the shepherd and he becomes your shepherd, you can be sure as I is always over the righteous and his ear is always open to their cry. Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? The fact that God has given us his best already means that everything else he can add to our lives as he so pleases. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We should not be worried or afraid about our needs. The Lord already knows all about them and he's already making provision for them. If we believe he's our shepherd and if we believe we are his sheep, then be encouraged in this psalm that he's already going to take you into green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The sheep have been up since dawn. They had been feeding and now it's mid-morning coming up to roughly lunchtime. The sun is high in the sky. The sun is very, very hot beating down on them. They're hot, they're thirsty, but the shepherd knows that with all that undigested grass in their stomachs, uh, he dare not give them water just yet. He's got to lead them to a green pasture and he's got to make them lie down because they need to chew the cud. And so they need to lie down in the green pastures. And also by making them lie down in the green pastures, that's letting them know that it's a safe place. It's a secure place. The shepherd is with them. He's overseeing them. And he's making them to lie down. There's times that, spiritually speaking, we, sometimes physically, we need to lie down and rest and enter into his rest. We cannot do 24-7 activities some tries it, but you can't do it. We're not made for it. Even physically, we're not made for it. Physically, we have got to sleep. Some of us maybe sleep too much, but we have got to sleep. We've got to get our heads down. We've got to be refreshed physically. How much more spiritually? Somebody wrote another psalm, the antithesis of this psalm. Very opposite. Anonymously, I don't know who it was, so I can't give them the credit, but I'll read it to you. And this is what some people are like. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me to lie down only when exhausted. It leads me into deep depression. It hounds my soul. 
It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done. For my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressures shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. (laughs) (laughs) Psalm 46 and 10, Be still and know that I am God. I know that often in our minds it's hard to be still, isn't it? I mean, even Jesus said about prayer, he says, when you go, he said, when you go into your closet, close the door. Hardest thing to do when you go into your closet for prayer is close the door in your mind, isn't it? It's amazing the nonsense that runs through your head when you go to pray, isn't it? Do you ever start to pray and you start with the greatest intention you're really going to pray about this person or this situation and within seconds your mind's away a million miles away for five minutes and then oh I'm here to pray what am I doing and and then you start again and and you're going well and then suddenly the doorbell rings or the phone rings or something happens and you're distracted. It's hard to close the door isn't it when you're praying the door of your mind but we have to do it. Come unto me, Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need that rest. Hebrews 4 and 9. Therefore, there remains a rest for the people of God. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Sheep needs refreshed. They're thirsty. But turbulent waters are a danger to sheep because if they fall in, then their fleece will be saturated and it will drag them under to their death. So the shepherd either leads them to still waters or he makes the water still for them. If there there are no still waters, then he, he builds a little dam and he makes the water still for the safety and the protection of the sheep so that they can drink and be refreshed without being swept away and dragged under with the currents. And as a believer, you will never find rest and your thirst will never be quenched if you're caught up in the, the trends and the currents of this world that wants to sweep us away from the shepherd, that wants to drag us down, we need that place of green pastures and still waters. We need that place, and that may be your room. That may be the place where you meet with the Lord each day. For some of you, it may be morning. For some, it may be evening. It may be during a break, a lunch break at work where you just slip away somewhere and you just spend that time just praying and seeking the Lord and getting calmness and rest into your soul. He leads me beside the still waters. And it's only when you drink the waters 
the still waters of his spirit and his word and his presence when you worship him. You know, when we come here Sunday morning and Sunday evening, there's always a, a good period when we worship him corporately. And we ought to do that. It's biblical and it's right to do that. But if we only wait to Sunday morning or Sunday night to worship him, then we're missing something. But we can do that in a room. We can do that in a car. We can do that as we walk along the road. We can do that as we take a dander in the park. Clifford said just last week that sometimes in his break, he'll go to a certain place and he'll go walk and he'll just praise the Lord and slip up his hands, even though people may see him and think he's a nutcase. But, but that's personal worship. And you know, I, I think that maybe pleases the heart of God more than just when you're in a setting and everybody around you is worshiping. It's so easy then to, to get involved in that. But when you're on your own and there's nobody to see you and you're just in your room or whatever and you lift up your hands or you begin to worship and speak words of, of praise and honor unto him, then when you do that, you're getting to that place of still waters and green pastures where you calm yourself. Although sometimes we're not very common here when we worship, sure we're not. You're a noisy bunch at times. But the last four or five Psalms tells us that we can worship God in the high symbols. Sometimes Stephen gives them symbols of real bash, and he's going to tell me now that scripture, so I can't tell him off about that. Sure, I can't. But as long as it's not clashing, it's a high symbol. The praise and worship, lifting our hearts to God, lifting our hands to the Lord. But you can do that in your room. You can do that in your car. You can do that along the road. Good Shepherd not only shares his life with us, but he gives his life for us. I'm the Good Shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. He restores my soul, our minds, our feelings, our emotions, that self-conscious part of us. He restores us. Sometimes we emotionally and mentally are drained. We're like a clock that's run down. We're like a battery that's going low. We're like a, a flame that's just a flicker. Like a candle that's almost out. And he comes and we go into his presence and we still our heart before him and he restores our soul. All of us need that restoring from time to time because of the stuff of life. Uh, you know, none of us know what's going to happen this week. None of us know what we're going to face. Uh, can I tell you that every week in church, almost without exception, somebody in the congregation is, is facing a struggle Maybe in their body, it may be their health issue, it may be within their family or the extended family or their job or their business or whatever it may be, every week. And, that, and that's why we need that restoring of our souls. Elijah just had his greatest victory in his whole ministry. 
450 prophets of Baal killed with the sword. God mightily showed up for him in Mount Carmel. But immediately, Queen Jezebel threatened his life. And, and as high as he was in that mountaintop experience, within 24 hours, he was as low as he'd ever been in his life. He went from the highest to the lowest. And he ran all the way from Dan to Beersheba. And he got into the wilderness. And he got under the juniper tree. It is enough, Lord, take away my life. He was depressed. He was defeated. He was despondent. He was despairing. His soul was at its lowest ebb. And God sent an angel, not once but twice, and gave him food and gave him water. And he took the food and the water and he drank it and he ate it and he lay down and slept. An angel came again, woke him and said, you better take some more because the journey's too great for you the way the ship you're in. And so he took some more food and he took some more water and he, and he began to be refreshed. And the angel of the Lord told him, you've got to anoint a new king over Syria and you've got to anoint a new king over Israel and you've got to anoint Elisha to be your successor. Such a great prophet, such a mighty man of God, such a miraculous event. And yet, within hours, he was at his lowest ebb ever in his life. And he needed his soul restored. And David in Psalm 42 verse 5 said these words, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Note this, for the help of his countenance. The help of his countenance. In other words, God's going to look upon me. His countenance is going to be on me. It's going to be a great help. And in verse 11 of the same chapter, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Almost the same words. Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. And then he changes and says, The help of my countenance and my God. Amen. Your countenance, my countenance. Whenever your countenance looks upon my countenance, your countenance will help my countenance. You put a smile back on my face. You put a spring back in my step. You see, whenever we get into the presence of God and his countenance is upon us, it's going to help our countenance. Somebody says, if you're happy, notify your face. <laughs> it cost our good shepherd everything to restore our souls and to redeem our hearts. Everything. Paid a powerful price for this. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Not only does he share his life with us, not only does he give his life for us, but he puts his life in us. He has given to us his righteousness. 
It's the only reason we can stand before a holy God today. Because his righteousness is in us. It's the only reason. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thank God for his righteousness. <laughs> All we had to offer him was our sins and our mistakes and our blunders and our mess-ups. That's all we had to offer him. And he took all of that and he gave us his righteousness in its place. And what a change came into our lives. So we have nothing to boast about in ourselves or of ourselves. Our boast is in the Lord. Thank God we found those paths of righteousness. Thank God we got to walk on the narrow way and we entered in at the straight gate. It wasn't always like that. Sure it wasn't. It wasn't always like that. We used to be on the Broadway that led to destruction. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep had gone astray. Each of us had wandered turned every one of us to her own way. Most of us here that get saved a little bit later on in life were rebellious. Rebellious. Rebellious against God. Didn't want God. Didn't want him in our lives. Didn't want him to rule our lives. And we rebelled and rebelled and rebelled, but thank God in his mercy. In his mercy, he came and he turned these rebels into his sons and daughters. Thank you, Lord. Proverbs 14 and 12, there's a way that seems right unto a man. But in the end, it leads to death. So the shepherd leads them to green pastures in the morning. The still waters later on in the day. And at evening, the shepherd takes us right into the sheepfold in the nighttime. You know, when the shepherd took the sheep into the sheepfold at night, it usually was like a, a high stone pen. And they'd put brambles and briars all around the stones to try to keep the predators away. And then he would lie across the entrance so the sheep would be safe. Of course, if he was a hireling, if he was just a hired hand, he maybe wouldn't do that. If a lion or a bear came, he'd run. But if they were his sheep, then he'd make sure they were safe. Notice that he does all this for his namesake. He's the good shepherd He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd, the New Testament says. And so because he's the good shepherd and the great shepherd and the chief shepherd, he will save us and look after us and guide us and protect us for his namesake. He will not fail for his namesake. 
He will not falter for his namesake. He will not leave us or desert us for his namesake. His name is so important. His name is above every name. It's higher than any other. In fact, there's only one thing that he will put above his name, and that is his word. Psalm 138 and 2, you have magnified your word even above your name. Why? Because your name is only as good as your word. If your word is not good, your name is not good. And so his word is good, and that keeps his name good. We can trust him. His name is good because his word is good. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Notice here how the tenor of this psalm changes. It goes from talking about the shepherd to talking to the shepherd. He makes me to lie down. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For you are with me. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. And so he's not just talking about the shepherd, he's talking to the shepherd. And as much as it's good for us to talk about our shepherd to those whom we meet, but we need to be talking to the shepherd. The more we talk to the shepherd, the more we'll have to say about the shepherd to others whom we meet. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now usually this portion of the psalm is quoted with reference to a funeral. And I have used it many, many, many times conducting funerals. And justifiably you can do that. Nothing wrong with that. But actually, that valley of death is not really what the psalmist is talking about. From Jerusalem to the Dead Sea was known as the valley of death because the pathway led through mountains that cast shadows where the robbers and the bandits lay in wait for the unsuspecting traveler who would rob him and maybe kill him so it became known as the Valley of Death. It's a dangerous place to go through. People have all kinds of valleys to go through. Valleys of bereavement. Valleys of despair. Valleys of unfavorable circumstances. Valleys of sickness, of financial reversals, of marital problems, of all kinds of valleys. It's life, isn't it? And David, when you read his whole story, which is a fascinating account of his life, warts and all, all the problems he had and all the problems he caused himself and others, all of that, when you read all that, you can see he went through some valleys. (laughs) 
There were some death valleys he had to go through, but he says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Because you're with me. I could not have gone through those and come out the other side except you were with me. And I look across the congregation and I see some of you who have gone through some dark valleys. And some of you are maybe in a dark valley right now. But you have come through and you will come through. Why? Because he is with you. He hasn't left you. Even though you may not feel him, you certainly can't see him. But by faith you know him and you know what he's like. And you know his promises and you know his word. And you can say, he is with me in this situation. Right there, he is with me. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will be with us even unto the end. The valley of the shadow. Where there's a shadow, there has to be light. Can't have a shadow without light. Sure you can't. But the shadows sometimes are scary. Do you remember whenever you were a little boy or a little girl and your mommy put you to bed at night and she didn't quite close the curtains and in the moonlight cast a shadow on the wall? And maybe there was a tree or a bush in your garden that was shaking in the wind and you looked at that there and your little imagination run riot. But it was only a shadow. C.H. Spurgeon said a shadow, sorry, he said the, <laughs> let me find it. C.H. Spurgeon said a lot, and he had a lot to say. He said the shadow of a dog can't bite you, and the shadow of a sword can't hurt you. And so oftentimes we get afraid of a shadow. Something that's not really real. Something that we imagine. And it's never going to happen. It's never going to materialize. But he said this valley was the shadow of death. Now he was speaking about reality because there was robbers and bandits hiding waiting to attack but he says I will fear no evil now if you want to take that in the sense of the saint who dies as we speak of in a funeral service then in that sense because it's the valley of the shadow of death then it's not termination for us it's transition for us not termination we're not going to stop there we just go through we, we're on transit to the glory and we move from mortality to immortality we move from death to life <laughs> we move from this earthbound material passing world into the eternal where the roses never fade. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I better go quick. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
The rod was an instrument of protection, cudgel, because of the predators. In those days, lions and bears, snakes. Whenever the shepherd would take the sheep, if there was bushes, he would go to the bushes and he would put the cudgel in and shake them, see if there was a snake there and kill the snakes. The Lord is our protector. The staff was an instrument of extraction. See, the sheep are generally not the smartest of animals. They're not wily like a fox. They're not hunters. They're not predators like the lions and the bears. They're just a sheep. And there's a tendency. They're prone to wander. They just put their head down and eat and there's a prone to wander away from the shepherd. That's why the shepherd's got to watch them so much because they'll go off into all kinds of trails and paths if they're not careful. And sometimes, like the little boy that I told you about earlier, sometimes they fall down into maybe a little crevasse and, and they're stuck there and the shepherd has to go with his crook and, and, and pull them out. I had a cousin, cousin Davy, still alive yet, and he used to be a terrible drinker. <coughs> terrible drinker. And he used to be an old pastor in the, in the town where we lived, old Pastor Davison. And Davy told me one time, he said, I was heading to the pub. He says, I just got to the pub door, just about to walk in, he says, and I felt, oh, let's pull the way back. And it was the old pastor with his walking stick. And he says, where are you going, young man? Don't go into that devil's den. He says, come out of there. <laughs> and he says, what did you do? He says, well, I didn't want to offend him. So he says, okay, okay, pastor, okay. And he says, I walked away around the corner and I hid there till he was gone. And I was back in again. <laughs> We're prone to wander say that backsliders are the biggest denomination in Northern Ireland. And I could well believe it. We're prone to wander away from the shepherd. But thank God he comes to seek and to save that which is lost. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We're not, we're not to think of this as, as a table like this communion table. A table means a high plateau. Spanish calls them mesas, table, table land. And so the shepherd leads them to a plateau where he can see all around. And he checks the bushes and he checks if there's any poisonous weeds and he can watch for the predators because it's right in the presence of their enemies but the shepherd is with them. And he prepares that table for them, even in the presence of their enemies. Difficulties and dangers and enemies may surround us in this life, and they do. But the Lord prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Amen. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. Unite my head with oil, my cup runs over. Sheep get cuts, they get wounded. They get bruised, they get hurt. But the shepherd always has the oil 
that he pours and he rubs in and he heals their hurts and he soothes their bruises and he makes them comfortable. They say that because the shepherd knows every sheep individually, they say that he calls them individually to himself to check them, to make sure there's no cuts or bruises. And if there is, he takes his bottle of oil and he rubs it in and he soothes them and he sends them back into the flock. My head, my cup. <laughs> See how personal that is? Out of all those hundreds of sheep, my head, my cup. You've got to make your shepherd personal to you. John loved to do this. When you read John's gospel, always refer to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> always. See how personal he That disciple whom Jesus loved. Yeah, I know he loves all them, but he loves me. <laughs> And you've got to think that way too. Yeah, he's got millions all over the world that he loves, but he loves me. I'm special to him. I'm one of his sheep. It's my head he anoints with oil. It's my cup that runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The old preacher says, goodness takes care of my steps, mercy takes care of my stumbles. So he's taking care of your steps. But if you stumble, he'll take care of your stumbles too. Imagine goodness and mercy following you all the days of your life from here on out to the glory, right? All eternity. Goodness and mercy will always follow you. Isn't that a wonderful promise of God? Somehow David understood that. Being a shepherd, talking about a shepherd, he understood the shepherd's heart. Every day, goodness and mercy shall follow you. And every circumstance, and every crisis, and every difficulty, and every challenge you face, goodness and mercy shall follow you every day of your life. What a blessing that is. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now David is talking more here than just the physical house of the Lord on earth. And he loved, he loved the house of the Lord. He'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of wickedness, he said. <laughs> But he was looking beyond this life. And we need to lift up our eyes and look beyond this life. Because right now, there's a house prepared for you. Amen. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said. Neither let it be afraid. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So right now, as we sit here, as you listen to my voice, the Lord is preparing a house for you. Just right for you. If I went into your house, here's a little trick I learned years ago. 
If I go in to visit your house, I usually stand a moment to see where you're going to sit and let you sit first because I don't want to sit in your seat. People get kind of funny if you sit in their seat. Did you ever notice that? Do you get funny if somebody sits in your seat? Uh, you get funny if somebody sits in your seat in church. I know that. <laughs> you shouldn't. You shouldn't. But we're creatures of habit. I know who's missing today just by looking at the empty seat. Oh, I so and so and so sits there, but they're not here today. And sometimes you throw me and you sit somewhere else because you come in late and your spot's taken, so you sit somewhere else. And I think, where is, where's she today? Where's he today? Oh, right there over there. <laughs> ah, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What an eternity lies before us. What makes a house a home? Those who live in it. And we're going to see Jesus. For the first time ever, we're going to see Jesus. My late aunt was on her deathbed. My aunt from Larn Hazel was on her deathbed. My mother was on one side her other sister was at the other side of her, my aunt's other sister. And she was frightened, scared to die. And her sister said to my mother, Aggie, she's all right, you know. She, she went to church, she went to Sunday school, she's all right. The mother says, well, if she's all right, why is she so frightened? She's not all right. And she turned around and she says, Lizzie, she says, you need to ask Jesus to come into your life. You're not ready to meet him yet, and you need to be. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to pray this with me. If you want Jesus to come into your life right now. And she prayed that prayer. And something like an hour later, she's literally dying. Like an hour later, my mother says she sat right up in bed and put her two, all the rest of the family was downstairs, right up in bed, put her two hands up, her eyes wide open. She says, Aggie, I can see Jesus and he's coming for me. I can see him. Hallelujah. And she says her eyes and her face was a big beaming smile. She says, I can see him. And she, she just lay down in the bed and she was gone. Sister told me when her husband was dying, he, he was a former pastor. She says when he was dying, she says he looked right up and she said, and he said, didn't say to her, he just said, Jesus, you are beautiful. And then I just died. That's who we're going to see. Amen. That's what's going to make heaven for us. Yes, our loved ones that save will be there and we'll reunite and we'll rejoice and we'll have a wonderful time, but we want to see him who's King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.